We have just spent some time doing the Corinthian letters. Uh, what I normally do is I'm a textual thematic expositor. And that's just a fancy way of saying And I start at chapter 1, verse 1, and I go through the book. But the exposition of Scripture means that you explain it. And so I'm going to jump into chapter 10 of Matthew and try to explain some things. We are in a very dangerous time in the body of Christ. It comes in cycles. Uh, you guys know that I love history, and I can show you throughout church history the cycles that the church goes through. If you take the seven churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelations, you will see seven types of churches, but you will also see seven types of people who can make up any given church. We looked at that in the Corinthian letters, that in Corinth, they were lacking in no gift. You look at who their founder was, they probably weren't lacking in theology. And yet, the arrogance of man's heart managed to tear that church apart and actually hurt the Apostle Paul. And then we looked in 2 Corinthians and saw that he had reestablished it. A number of years ago, wow, I mean like a number of years ago, like 38 years ago, when I came to salvation, I had uh, found a church and was asked to be baptized and I was baptized, and I asked the guy, what am I supposed to do now? And he said, read the Gospel of John. And I thought that was about as weird a thing as anybody ever told me, that you've got this great big book, and you want me to start in the middle. <laughs> okay? It didn't, didn't make sense to me. But what I had learned was, this is at a time when the church was making converts. Okay? The church has never been called to that. The church has been called to make disciples. Okay? And so for the next few weeks, I would like to touch on the disciples and what does it mean. So if you would please, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the name of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, nor any city of the Samaritans. Father, help us to hear. These are strange times. We need your disciples. We are desperate for these. Help us, Father, to understand no matter who we are, we will make learners of other people. Father, I ask that you would move in our hearts. I heard the term revive. Father, I prefer awaken. Awaken your church that she may stand in the provision and the power of you who spoke existence into being, you who purchased her with your precious blood. 
To you, my Savior and Lord, Christ's name, amen. If you look around us right now, in all of your life, regardless of how old you are or how young you are, you have always been placed at a person's standard or a system's standards. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. There is always a standard that people expect you to adhere to. When I first got out of high school, the standard that was out there was to immediately get into a trade. That was the thing everybody was pushing. Whether it was an electrician, heating and air conditioning, whether it was welding, whether it was carpentry, whatever it was, get into that because that's where it was. But at that time in the 70s, you're looking at a country that was based on manufacturing. So that was our standard. In that time, it has changed. And it has moved more into the tech system or service industries. And so they started saying, now you need to go to college. Now, I've had three of my kids. Well, I've only got three. All three went through college. And I can honestly tell you with all of my heart, I think it was the biggest waste of time that I've ever seen. Okay. And it didn't help my pocketbook. Okay, but I do not understand why you need four years of English to go to college. If you can't speak American by the time you're in college, college ain't going to help you. Okay, I I don't understand these things that they say you have to do. But we've come up now. We have a society now that says this is what you have to do. To meet the standard. And that's what's going on in the body of Christ. I watched a man in California in a very short time made everybody believe that the pastor don't have to wear a suit no more. And he can walk up in a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops, and that is just as honoring as the guy with the suit. Because I have people ask me, he says, why do you wear a suit? Because I'm free to do it. Okay? So I don't understand. All of a sudden, we've thrown these standards out. I prefer to wear a suit. I prefer that if I am going to speak forth the word of God, I should be giving him my best. Okay? It's that simple. We live to other people's standards. People may see me through the week. I'll be on my Harley. I'll have a sleeveless T-shirt on, a pair of blue jeans, and some nasty old boots. And they'll say, what do you do for a living? I'll tell them I'm a pastor. And then you know what the words that come out of their mouth is? You don't look like a pastor. Well, if I've been riding a long time, I probably don't smell like a pastor either. And I always ask them the same question. What do a pastor look like? Okay. But see, these are the things that I want people to think about because you have a standard that you hold people to. We have what I call some mixed marriages in this church. Okay. And what I mean by that, believer and an unbeliever. Okay. And one of the great frustrations that I've watched in these situations is that the believer cannot understand why the unbeliever doesn't live to the standard of God's word. They can't. It's impossible. Okay. Because you know what? Before your salvation, you couldn't. And so it's amazing to me to watch people try to throw this standard on people who have no ability whatsoever to live or please God. 
It's why some of you guys have known me for a long time know that there are times when I'm very harsh with people, but they will always be leaders. If a leader is leading astray and he says something and I hear it, I will tell him. Okay? If a young person in Christ says something and they don't know no better, I'm not going to beat them with the book. I'm going to explain to them, well, you might want to double check that and find out exactly where in Scripture it is you're saying this. But if a person says he is a spokesman for God, he had better know what this says or he had better shut up. All right. And I'm saying that as lovingly as I can. One of the things that I have watched that is astonishing to me is God has an innate Ability to use the most unqualified people to do the most astounding things. Okay? And he likes doing that. And I have watched it. I have bore witness to it. I am even part of that. I am a non-educated man. And people say, well, how do you know what the Bible says? Well... I read it a number of times. I have shared with you guys that when I begin, I begin teaching a book, I begin usually six months to a year ahead of time reading the book every day. I read it every day. Now listen, it took me eight years to get through 2 Corinthians. I read 2 Corinthians every day for nine. Okay, I'm not boasting because I wish I had memorized it. You'd think reading it every day for nine years, you'd remember a little more than I do. But I have a leaky thing up here. It doesn't hold up all the time. Okay? God uses unqualified to do the work of the world's most important task. There is nothing greater. I have been asked in the past, would I want my my boys to go into the ministry? And I said, no. And they said, really? And I said, no, I wouldn't recommend anybody doing this ever. But I would tell you this. If God's pushing you there, don't kick against it. Listen, since the Garden of Eden, that little incident... God has used some of the most unqualified people to do some of the most amazing things. I've just got a really quick list that I went through, and I just thought about this in some of my readings. Lot. Everybody knows Lot? Do you realize how he was used, and yet he was drunk and committed incest? How about Abraham? Well, that's the father of faith. Well, the father of faith doubted and committed adultery. Jacob, he who wrestles with God was his name. It's changed to, we call it Israel. He only deceived his father to get the birthright from his brother. Moses, we read about Moses. He was only a murderer, and yet he led a captive nation out of Egypt. David, he was a murderer, 
Ah, and an adulterer, and a few other odds and ends. And yet God said he was a man after God's own heart. Jonah. Jonah, you know, Jonah, we talk about it, and he gets on the boat, and he gets thrown out, and all the rest of it. But you know one of the things that amazes me most about Jonah? He got mad at God after God showed mercy to Nineveh. And that's the reason he wouldn't go to Nineveh. And if you read history, you'll see that was the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were evil people. Elijah. He stood before 800 priests and prophets of Baal. And stood there and dared them. Maybe your God's asleep. Say louder. And he poured water upon the altar of his offering to God. And it was consumed, and so were the prophets of Baal. What a man! And then he ran from a woman. Paul stood and held the coats as Stephen was stoned and became an apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? There's more. You can go through scriptures. You can run yourself ragged watching the unqualified, disqualified, uneducated hayseeds that turn the world upside down. This text here in Matthew 10 is Christ commissioning these men. He is preparing to send them out. You can see the same in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. He went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he wanted. Did you hear that? He wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. And he, he could send them out to preach. And they had the authority to cast out the demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James. To them he named Boangers, which means sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. Who betrayed him. You know what's amazing? Those are the ones. He wanted. He wanted them. John's gospel chapter 15. Verse 16. You did not choose me. But I chose you. This is the upper room discourse. He's preparing. They have just done the Lord's table and they're preparing. Judas has left and they're preparing to go over to the Mount of Olives where he will be arrested, falsely charged, and then murdered. And he says this. It's amazing to me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, listen, I want you to understand something about this. This is not salvation. Okay? 
This is not salvation. This is service. You were saved for a task. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in life. I don't care what your social background is. I don't care what your education is. These were already saved except Judas, the son of perdition. They are already saved. God chooses those he will save and serve his church. Listen, Jesus trained them. They, they experienced life day to day together for three years, day and night. Linsky made this statement and he called it they, quote, are living patterns to follow. And let's be realistic. Go back and look through it. How many of you have ever run into a saved IRS agent? I have. One. Matthew. Okay. When I came to salvation, the church was determined to make converts. That era is bearing the fruit that I see today. Okay? The church doesn't stand for anything. You look at the divorce rate in the pastorate right now has exceeded the lost. What they call in professionalism. What happened? I mean, we want to complain about abortion. Really? You know you lost that war? I mean, you might have wanted to say something in the early 70s. Or maybe late 60s. But nothing was said. I don't understand. We are fighting things. We don't have to fight that. I don't have to worry. I can stop abortion right now. Across the country. You know how? Share the gospel. Show a life that is redeemed. Let me show you my hope and my happiness. I watch Christians walk around now and you're like, man, I don't know what you got. I pray it ain't contagious. You know, oh boy, I'm saved. Boy, good. Yahoo. Okay, I've told you I was in Moscow and Russians frown. That's all they do. They all just got this mad look on their face. And then, you know, every time I've been there, it's been cold and rainy and snowy and everything else. So I'm like, okay, I can buy that. But one of the things I was there, I was in May, their May Day when they had their first celebration back out of the fall of communism, where to celebrate the uh, defeat of Germany and have all the parades. They shut the city down. This is a city of 35 million. Okay. New York is eight. There's 35 million grumpy people, okay? But you could walk around and you would see people smiling. And I would walk up to him, Slava Boga, Christos. Da, Christos, Slava Boga. And then they go off on this tangent. I'm like, that's all I know. (laughs) And all that is is 
praise God, are you a Christian? Okay, and then they get into this big dissertation. I'm like, nah. (laughs) But you could spot them because they were happy. Okay, I look in our communities of the church today, I don't see that. Or I see an exact replica of the world. And the time that I have been saved, if you walked outside of a church after the church service was over and asked the person, did you worship? And they, if they said yes, you would ask them, how do you know? And they would say, the word of God was exalted and preached. Go ask them today. Go ask them today. The music was rocking, really? You don't know rocking. I've seen rocking, and they ain't doing it in there. Okay? What happened? We have converts. We have converts. Let me give you something, a text. When they asked me to be the pastor of this church, this text was burned into my soul. It comes from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Chapter 4, verse 9. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You know what that is? That's mentoring. No, it's not. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. The things you've heard, the things you've received, the things you've seen. You know what that implies? You better have some information because you will live your life based on your controlling influence. The things that you have received, the things that you have learned. I have met people who are not mechanically inclined. Okay, I grew up in a, my grandfather and my uncle run a, it was a body shop, a mechanic shop, and a junkyard. So all of the cousins grew up in that. So all of the cousins are mechanically inclined. You know, I, if I can take it apart, I can put it back together. All right? And sometimes, you know, I've had a guy bring me over two boxes of transmission parts and ask me, can you make this a transmission? And I'm like, maybe a boat anchor. Okay, so that's my puzzle that I'm working on right now. But I'm mechanically inclined. And I've run into people who ain't. Okay, and at first, I used to get frustrated with it. Don't you know if you turn it to the left, you loosen it. If you turn it to the right, you tighten it. Why don't you know that? Okay, but then I watched kids with computers and say, boy, I'm glad I don't know that. Because that's some of that stuff you just sit there, huh? Because when my computer jacks up, you know what I do? I unplug it. Count to ten, I plug it back in and start it back up. If that don't work, I throw it in a trash can. <laughs> that's why God created laptops. You can fling them. That's why I won't get a tablet, because I bet I can really hum that thing. Paul understood this. Paul understood discipleship. Remember, when he got saved, he had to go for 
three years and the desert of Arabia to what? Be taught by Christ. And then he came back and began. You've got to be taught. Paul understood this. He told a young pastor that was going to take over for him after his leaving. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech. Now, here's what he says. In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. You want to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Father, you see all these people? They're walking and talking just like me. Well, that thins it out a bit, doesn't it? Thins it out a bit. I want these people to mimic me because I mimic he who led me who is following Christ. Even Peter understood this. Well, you'd expect that. First Peter chapter 5. Speaking of shepherds. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sword gain, but with eagerness. Verse 3, not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Listen, brothers and sisters. Your chronology with Christ is not the issue. Okay? What do I mean by that? Let's say you got saved last week. All right? Let's say you've been saved 50 years. Okay? Your chronology is not the issue here. You are an example to someone. Every one of you. Everyone, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've known Christ. You are an example. And if you look at our society, isn't that true? Our society does that. We have people who train other people. I remember when I first entered the workforce, I was operating a forklift. That's what I did. I unloaded trucks. I graduated from trucks to airplanes. But I remember this guy that I was working at at warehouse, this big old stinking warehouse, huge. And we would, trucks would come in on one side, we would unload them, and then the cargo would be placed on the local deliveries on the other side. And it was hustle and bustle. But I watched this guy, old guy. He was, I don't know, he should have retired. He looked like he ought to have been retired. But, you know, when you're 19, everybody looks like they ought to retire. But anyway, you could take a quarter and lay it down on the concrete, and he could back a forklift up to it, and you tell him, go, he could spin that thing around and drop the fork, and that quarter would flip up on that fork. And I was like, wow. <laughs> You've done this once or twice, haven't you? Because the first time he did it, I was like, that's bogus, man. Come on, give me another quarter. And I laid it down there, and sure enough, he did it every time he wanted to. And I was sitting there going, 
That dude's been doing this. How you learn to do that? And better yet, why ain't you working if you're sitting around spinning backwards? You are an example to somebody. I don't care what it is. People hear what you say. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. They listen to what you say. But you know what else? People watch what you do. Okay? And I... My question, I guess, is do they see Christ in your life? I know people right now that know the Bible better than I ever will, but I don't want to be chained to them on Judgment Day. There's just something there that just don't seem right. And it makes me nervous. Okay? That, that bugs me. Because it isn't a matter of me having all this information. It is a matter of, does this information guide me? Guide me. Does it control my life? Does it apply to my life? What do people see when they see you? Listen, I got people. I went back uh, last July to my high school reunion. <laughs> oh, um, I was a piece of work in high school. Okay, um, I, I went to Ohio State right out of high school and realized in one quarter I can't survive this, and so I left. Uh, and uh, I won't go into the details of it. I thought college was great. I don't know why everybody had to go to class. Um, People were stunned. I mean, first and foremost, that I was alive. That was first. There were bets being taken I wouldn't see 25. Okay? So there I stood. And then it got out what I was doing for a living. And I began giving mass CPR to everybody. Your what? Well, how did that happen? By the grace of God. It was strange. It was very strange. My question to you is, do the people see Christ? Or do they see someone who has rules and regulations? I know a lot of people got rules and regulations. Very high morals. That ain't Christ. That ain't Christ. What do you do with the text that says, be anxious for nothing? You know what that means? Don't worry. About what? Nothing. Anybody in here ever worry? Did you know that worry is not a spiritual gift? Okay. Did you know that worry... Is sin? You're saying, I do not trust you, Lord. But yet, look at our world. Let me ask you this. Have you ever watched a news broadcast or a talk radio station, and when you got done with it, you were mad? Why? The foolish of man. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. I listen to it and kind of chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you goofballs. We can't even find an airplane. It falls out of the sky and it's gone. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? We get so much information that tries to distress us. And yet I'm sitting there thinking, is God sovereign? And then the next question I always ask is, in what degree is he sovereign? Your health issues? Well, he can't handle my health issues. I have to go to the doctor. Oh, really? You're about to learn a very valuable lesson. See, this is the kind of stuff that you and I have. That's what we show people or we don't. My mom lost her second husband. I look at it and I went back for his funeral, my stepdad's funeral. And everybody was freaking out. And they says, well, your mom doesn't seem to be, you know, grieving over this. And I was like, well, you know, he's been dealing with this cancer for about four and a half years. I think she's thankful. But I thought about it for a while. This is her second husband. Okay. And anytime this happens, she draws closer and closer and closer to Christ. And so when the event happens, they've already said goodbye. I'll see you in a little while. It's that simple. And yet you would sit there and go, well, she doesn't seem to be grieving. Well, in the sense of a lost person, no. She was thankful for God that he gave her that many years with this second man. Her first husband died at a very young age. He was in his early 40s. My father. She was tickled to death to have a man that's, you know, her both of her boys left the house and vanished. And yet, you can look at her testimony and there were people who have had death who are still mourning that death years and years later. And my mom says, you know what? God graced me with this much time. This is what I could do because the word of God in my mother is real. I hope I don't ever lose her. I hope I get out of here before her. Now, she gets mad every time I say that. But she is a prayer warrior. I mean, she she's embarrassing. I've never seen anything like it. But the church needs a lot of those. They don't stand up in front of anybody. They don't have a big audience. They have these massive notebooks. Of I started praying for this person on this date, and it was answered on this date. I've seen her prayer notebook. It's depressing. That's a person, when you look at them, you say, what she takes in from hearing and receiving, it is seen in her. It is seen in her. All right. These men that we have in... Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Let's be realistic about it. They had some problems. Okay? You know what I like about these 11? They're no different than you and me. No different than you and me. I'm going to give you these four problems and we'll call it a day, all right? And then we'll pick this up in the weeks to come. First problem that these guys had. First problem. They all had this. Okay? They had a lack of understanding. 
See, we talk about God's sovereignty as long as it's not inconvenient to me. Okay? I love a sovereign God who does everything, especially when I'm doing well. They lacked understanding. Three years, day and night, they lived with Jesus. And he had to keep teaching them and teaching them the same thing over and over and over. They did not understand the resurrection. They did not understand the kingdom of Christ. And he was constantly teaching them and reminding them. Always. You go look at the letter of Jude. He starts it out. I wanted to originally speak to you of what? Our common salvation. But. You know what's weird about that? We got to repeat that again. I remember the first time I read the Bible. I kept thinking, we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why does he repeat the same story four times? But then, after this many years, we're that slow. We have to keep reading it. Why? I don't know. Okay? I heard a guy, I was talking to a guy the other day, he said, well, I have dual citizenship. I am French and American. I said, cool. I said, I got dual citizenship too. And he says, really? He says, what is it? I says, heaven and earth. He's still scratching his head. What? They lacked understanding. Secondly, this is one that none of us struggle with, and I am so thankful to be around such people as you. They lacked humility. More than once, there were arguments over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus showed them he did what? He washed their feet. That would be just a tad bit on the humbling side. Just a little bit. So they lacked understanding. They had to be taught over and over and over and over. They lacked humility. But you know what? They also lacked something else. They lacked commitment. They lacked commitment. I want you to think about it. I was reading Edelsheim, and he speaks of Christ's ministry in the lands of Palestine, is what he calls it. And he says, for all intents and purposes, for three years, death and disease stopped in Israel. You ever thought about that? I mean, he was healing people. He says, you know, if you could come, my servant's daughter is dead. And he says, no, it's just fine. And he, don't worry. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not even a house call. How does that work? But he, and it wasn't one of these, we'll pray this, say 28 Hail Marys, and this is going to happen to you. All right, that's fine. It's taken care of. These people lack commitment when it got tough, though. Think about it. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him three times. And the rest vanished. After all that they seen. You think about it. When they were arrested, Peter pulls out a sword and cuts the servant's ear off. Jesus picks it up and sticks it back on his head. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. 
what issue do I really have here? I could wade in here with my swords just humming at it. And he just raised them all back from the dead. You know, one of the things that is amazing to me in Luke's gospel, Luke 22, I, th- I think about this. Now, remember, these people lacked understanding. They lacked humility. And they lacked a commitment. All right. In Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Okay. Jesus called Peter Simon when he was acting fleshly. Called him Peter when he acted spiritually. So we know that right now, Peter's acting fleshly. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sit. Now my response if I'm Peter is that, and you told him no. Right? Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You know what Jesus did for Peter's lack of commitment? He prayed for him. He prayed for him. John's Gospel, the section that I call the Lord's Prayer, John 17, verse 15, I do not ask you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Our lack of commitment, Jesus prays for us. If you look at John 17, you will see what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing since he arrived at the right hand of God the Father. He has been in constant intercession for you and I. So they lacked understanding, and he taught them over and over again. They lacked humility, he washed their feet. They lack commitment, and fourthly, they lack spiritual power. This is what I see in the body of Christ today. The church lacks spiritual power. We've got gimmicks. We've got methods. I hear people having Bible studies written by men, and everybody says, I'm going to a Bible study written by such and such. It's going to be great. Won't you go read the Bible study that was written by them Bible guys? I mean, it's just an interesting concept, I thought. Listen, if I can read through this thing over and over and over again and finally understand it, you guys shouldn't have any problem. I don't even like reading. Okay? The church today in the United States lacks spiritual power. We've got bells, we got whistles, we got gimmicks, we got methods, we got people that you can look at, we got superstars. And yet, when I look through the list of the 11, which one of those guys is the superstar? Any of them an athlete? Successful businessman. I mean, Peter wasn't even a good fisherman. Every time he caught fish, it took divine intervention. It's sort of like when I fish. (laughs) God, make the fish jump in my boat. They lack spiritual power. So you know what Christ did? He gave them the Holy Spirit. You know what? These guys, you take just those four things, that is serious problems for people that you are expecting to continue the ministry. They didn't understand. 
They weren't humble. They had no commitment. And they had no power. Boy, you should be able to accomplish a lot. You know what? Read the book of Acts. These 11 half-hearted, foolish, arrogant, non-committed people turned the world upside down. And you know how they did it? Preaching and lives. Their lives were so drastically different that people were curious about what was going on. Listen, they were... Now I want you to grab this because... I've already told you guys why you were saved. Why did God save you? And it's got nothing for a free trip to heaven. Okay? Ain't got nothing to do with it. You were saved because of Romans 8. To be conformed into the image of Christ. That's why you were saved. Peter says the angels long to understand this thing. These 11 guys were so much like Christ... They were called little Christ. It was done in a derogatory form. You know the term as Christians. Listen, Jesus still transforms our inadequacies into amazing victories. And you know what? Jesus understands how pitiful we are, so he concluded, I will turn your inadequacies and my inadequacies into tremendous victories the same way I did it with these 11. It will be by the Spirit of the living God, by the power of the spoken word, and by fervent prayer. Or you can use prayer, the word, and the Spirit. Or you can use the word, the Spirit, and prayer. Or you can use prayer, the word, and Spirit. But it's only going to be those three. It's only going to be those three. So my brothers and sisters, in the next few weeks, we must focus on these things. Because every one of you are making disciples. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how long you have walked with Christ. I don't care. There will always be someone who is following you. There will always be someone who is ahead of you. And if you want to grow and be a little Christ... You have to do it through the Spirit, through the Word, and through prayer. And it must become a passion. You have got to cut yourself free from the things of this world. Cut yourself free from it. And be in the Word. Be on your knees and watch the Spirit overwhelm you. And He will then do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever think or imagine through Christ who strengthens us. Or, we will be victims of our inabilities. Inabilities. It's that simple. Brothers and sisters, the access and freedom that we have to this written word and to the tools to do the historical backgrounds on what we're looking at is never before seen on the planet Earth in the time of creation. And yet, we negate it. We negate it. Dude, you can do stuff on your phone now that is amazing to me. I'm not. I get older, I need bigger. Okay, when they make a phone that's 53 inches wide, I'm in. 
I will do my Bible studies off of that. But not until then. Brothers and sisters, every one of us has been called to to make disciples. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your place in life is. You're called to make disciples. Let us begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these 11 men. The Father, they set a pattern for us. And we saw what you can do. Father, thank you so much. Lord, I pray that your word finds fertile soil, takes deep root, bears fruit ten, a hundred, a thousand times. Father, your church is hurting. It needs to awaken. And Father, the only way it will happen is when the individuals that are called by your name begin replicating each other. Father, the things that have seen, the things that are received, the things that are heard from each one of us, may it be the things that cause us to understand the peace of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We love you, Lord. May our love grow with every breath you grace us. In Christ's name, amen.